Welcome to the Science Communication Journal Club podcast. Today, we talk about non-inclusive and outright problematic language and terminology in science. The SciComm Journal Club podcast is your one-stop shop for effective and impactful science communication approaches. At SciComm JC, we aim to help scientists integrate findings from the latest evidence-based research in social sciences and education into their outreach efforts. We curate, summarize and discuss research studies and their applications to real communication contexts in a way that scientists can easily implement. Hello listeners, today I'm joined by our, our very own founder, Sherry. Hi, Sherry. Hi. Hi. Great to be here. <laughs> nice to have you on. How are you doing? Good, good. Busy with life and psychom and teaching and everything else. So I think it's a good change of pace that we're busy with life for for first time. I in a know. While. <laughs> I know you get to do other stuff. Tell me some good news, Sherry. Well, the good news is that I got uh, access to Twitter Spaces, a way of doing social networking with audio, and I've tested it, and I've been trying to figure out how to use it. Mm -hmm. um, even though Twitter says that uh, people over with over 600 followers have access, we still don't have it in our own social SciCom mm. JC account. So I've been testing it with my own and I've been hosting conversations with scientists, which has been great. I love audio networking and I've been learning how best to use it. And it seems like it works best when you just fire up your Twitter space and give it a title and just start talking to people. Uh, people drop by and you talk about things you care about. And this is the spirit in which Twitter wants us to use it rather than just holding webinars. Mm. So last Friday, I had a guest. Uh, the name of my weekly space is a space for science. Mm -hmm. And I just invite scientists to come to talk to me, but my guest canceled. So I just, you know, started the space and said, uh, what is science and how it works? And people started joining and we had a nice nerdy conversation <laughs> and yeah, it was great. And, um, it again reinforced the fact that really people don't really understand how science works. We had some conversation and these are people who are educated. And I asked, so what do you understand about science and how it works? And they said, mm -hmm. well, isn't it, aren't most scientific findings based on accidents, <laughs> which is totally wrong. <laughs> I wish so, it was an accident, all the grueling work. <laughs> Exactly. So I think we have more work to do to teach people how science works. And you can record those conversations, can't you? You can't record it natively on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So Twitter doesn't make that available yet. It's mm -hmm. in the works. I just created a setup on my computer and I record the conversations. I just started a podcast on Anchor FM. So I put the recorded conversations there. So how do you call it again so people can look it up if they're interested? It's called A Space for Science. Thank you, Sherry. And until we get the Twitter spaces on our JC account, we will have to resort to still our fairly popular Twitter chats and this podcast. And mm -hmm. this podcast today, as I mentioned in the beginning, we talk about something quite worrying. And it's about paper that highlight um, the potentially rising use of very problematic language in science. 
and you covered it in a Twitter chat last month. Tell us a little bit what's that about. It's a little paper and it's a paper about Aziz Khan. It's an openly published paper in eLife. The title is Equity, Diversity and Inclusion, A Call to Eradicate Non-Inclusive Terms from the Life Sciences. And this paper was really interesting in that not only I learned a lot personally from looking at the results, but also the background information that was shared and also additional information in discussion was it really was eye-opening, to be honest. Uh, up until I read this paper, it was just, I wasn't on my radar about the problematic nature of these terms that we use it. Even I've used them without even noticing. So mm. some of the examples that were given in the tech world, the combination of master and slave is used for the arrangement of storage circuits and databases. So the mm -hmm. slave is a type of data type of database which is at a lower level and under control of a, let's say, circuit storage at the higher level. Mm -hmm. So the slave type of storage, it's subservient to the master. And then there's this frequent use of blacklists and whitelists, and the blacklists are always problematic. They're ones that give you problems. Mm -hmm. And then in scientific publications, predatory journals, which is a huge problem in scientific publishing, they are included in a blacklist. So these are blacklisted journals. So mm -hmm. again, we're associating the color black to a, a bad thing. This just, as I was reading this, it reminded me of a conversation that I heard or an interview with Muhammad Ali, the, bo the boxer. One day he asked his mom why everything bad is black and everything good is white. That's because we build it into our language. And additional racial connotations within the life science industry is that there is a database of DNA sequences, but when scientists mm -hmm. look for sequences that encode genes, the parts of our genome or any genome that doesn't encode a gene, non-coding regions, they are blacklisted. They, they call them, they are part of a blacklist of sequences that need to be cleaned out before you can work with the sequence, get some meaningful mm -hmm. information from it. So multiple ways that we are associating this color to a bad thing where color really doesn't have any properties, does it? The fact that we don't notice it, I think that's the problematic issue. And then it got me thinking for, for the master and for the slave, I had absolutely no uh, questions about what the relationship there is. The thing that got me thinking for a while was the black and white list. So I was thinking, okay, uh, I understand what the concern is and it's perfectly valid. But I was thinking, but is it really a racial connotation that comes with it? Doesn't it really come into the language from the difference between day and night way back then we had racial issues because at night, usually they're more from ancient times. There were more predators. There were more, uh, there was more crime because you're concealed during the night and stuff like that. So I was thinking like, but doesn't it come from there? And then now that you mentioned the summary of the paper, I'm thinking it doesn't matter where it comes from. The fact is that because there's such societal and racial issues today and such tensions, irrelevant of the origin where it comes from this language, it still reinforces biases. It, maybe they're not related to the origin of where this use comes from, but they actually affect the way we think about 
a lot of things happening uh, in our lives outside of necessarily these biological or tech uh, related papers. And I, I absolutely agree. It really is uh, a big issue that we don't even notice that these things are problematic for the bigger part, because if we don't notice it, we can't really do yeah. something about it. Yeah. So I'm very happy that in the end, <laughs> you got me thinking by bringing, us, bringing up this paper, you got me thinking several times about it. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad that it did get you thinking, and I hope it gets more people thinking. Uh, it's interesting thing you said about language, you know, the meaning of words and the way we say it over the lifetime of human population changes. And mm. uh, once I was having a conversation with my dad about different use, use of different words in English, because we were not native speakers, but we're both mm. ways are very well versed in the English language. I was kind of raising some objections about the way some words are used differently. And he said, language is determined by the people. Language is how people use it. So you can't get fixated on how a word is said or spelled. It really depends on the people of a particular region or a place in time use that word because they are the ones who determine the language. So it's an interesting point that you raised in that, yes, black probably is associated with things that are scary, because if you think about it, when it's dark, we don't see a lot, scary things happen in the dark. So it's not unreasonable for our language to associate black with things that are scary. But, but then when this history of slavery comes in, it, yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to keep using that word I just wanted to relate to the historical nature of these words because it has consequences. It, it really, and there is so much unconscious bias within us that we mm. need to bring it up to the surface and address it, which is, I think, what Aziz Khan was trying to do in this paper. And I'm glad that I ran into it and we can talk about it. A term that is used for capturing lizard is referred to as noosing. So these are all really problematic. All of this that is going on enticed Aziz Khan to take a look at, well, what is the prevalence of use of these word combinations of blacklist and whitelist and master and slave in the biomedical research? And unless you look into it, you can't really tell. So he started with a European, it's an open access repository containing millions of biomedical research articles. So he searched the repository for articles containing blacklist, whitelist, and for those containing the combination master and slave. And he also looked at the use of the master transcription factors and also articles that refer to a slave in that context. And he looked at these uh, for the span of 20 years. And he put him, put the data on a graph. It's important to note that the data uh, is presented as every year, so it's not cumulative. So then in his results, he is comparing total number of articles that are published in mm -hmm. the span of 20 years, the number of these terms that are used each year. And if you look at the results for master, slave, and blacklist, whitelist, the total number of articles follow a linear increase, a positive correlation, that the, the use of these terms is actually increasing in these publications. 
Then uh, a similar pattern was noticed for the use of master regulators in transcription factors. So the conclusion was that the results suggest that non-inclusive terms are becoming increasingly uh, pervasive. And then he's suggesting that it's probably the norm in life science literature. And one of the points that he made in his conclusion was mm-hmm. that the yeah. scientific community has spoken against systemic racism in science and has called out for action against systemic racism. And he is suggesting that, well, they, that words need to meet with action. If we're really serious about addressing systemic racism, we should be mindful of the terms that we're using. That's the first step that we can use. And he's given examples of uh, such efforts like in Google, GitHub, and UK National Cybersecurity Center. They're already replacing non-inclusive terms. And as we know, um, in the past few years, buildings and prizes named after people who were racist or leaders of racist ideologies, mm-hmm. they're being renamed. So words matter. It shapes the way we think, see, and behave. And we have a responsibility to fix the problem and to use the language that is inclusive. So that was a very interesting little paper, but definitely worth exploring. And during the Twitter chat to discuss that paper, there was already some mention on some specific terms and potential alternatives for them. Do you want to give us a couple of of examples that were mentioned? It was interesting, I think. Yeah, it was interesting that people, people who dropped by and said the different ways that they are taking the lead in order to change the conversation. And this doesn't necessarily uh, relate to racism. Mm-hmm. It relates to words that uh, contribute to our unconscious bias towards any kind of fraction of society. So one of them was someone mm-hmm. said that they are making a continuous effort in their workplace to replace the word guys with you all. Do you guys want to go out? So guys, that kind of excludes females, right? Yeah, I've used it in the past a lot as well. And at some, at some point, I started noticing a colleague of ours that uses it even when the major, the big majority of the people in the meeting or in the group he's in is female. And it really mm-hmm. started bothering me. So I'm like, okay, I have to start first changing my behavior <laughs> yes. if I expect yeah. the others to do. So I started using peeps instead. Peeps, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, peeps work and you all you all work. Some people yeah. may not like the nature of you all because it has such a Southern accent to it. And I mean, that's that even has its own implicit biases in it that you would be judged at less than intelligent because you're using you all. But you know, that's funny. I don't have any specific relationship with you all. I've, I've heard that before that it, how to say more of a, the simple type of people using it in, in the mm-hmm. United States, especially came across uh, an analysis by a linguist who actually pointed out that abbreviating words is a sign or like smooshing words together is a sign of uh, evolution of language. So if anything, y'all should be more advanced version of you all than anything else. So yeah, uh, the point is basically that we can't allow language to be defining our attitudes toward people, language alone. And it's not easy. And that that's probably one of the reasons why such kind of 
problematic expressions and words, including in science, have stuck for so long because we don't necessarily, it's not necessarily easy to find a better way that doesn't mm-hmm. have such burden <laughs> to mm-hmm. its meaning. But there are certain things that are easier. So um, there was another idea that very often when you talk about people or humans, the the general term people use is men, which Uh is absolutely unnecessary. You can just say people or humans or depending what is is appropriate in the the text or speech. This again goes back to tradition to the time where women didn't really have a place in in intellectual inquiry. So those people who wrote the books and declaration of independence and the constitution, instead of using human, like all, instead of saying all Mm. humans are entitled to life, liberty and happiness or are created equal, Mm. they say all men are created equal because at that time when these words were written, women weren't really considered. But then I think it was on purpose. (laughs) You think it was on purpose? Possibly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because because they didn't think that it's necessary to mention women since they didn't have nearly as many rights or, or place in society as men, why should they bother writing people? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so we need to change that. Uh, the issue is not just with terms relating to people or humans, uh, because that's what we do. When we get things wrong, we get them wrong across the board. <laughs> yeah. there, there are things also uh, that, were mentioned, that were mentioned during the Twitter chat relating to wildlife biology. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you know that example plantation? What does it relate to? Because I honestly don't know. I don't really know much of wildlife biology as a expertise. Yeah, yeah. I, plantation, as you know, it, this basically describes... It's, it's closely associated to slavery because yeah. that's why slaves came. So I don't know, somebody tweeted that there was a discussion on NPR, NPR about something about wildlife biology. Um, mm. Maybe I can find a tweet here because I saved it in the moments, but she found it here. Ironically, I was listening to Fresh Air today and the guest's mention of pine plantations just hit a nerve. Now, enough so to start a conversation at work about what terms wildlife conservation should regu- should relegate to the past. So it, it didn't sit with her that they were talking about planting pines. They referred to it as pine plantations. Huh, interesting. It's, it's, a, it's a little, you know, that it hits a nerve on people yeah. who are sensitive. And we also get placed a lot of misplaced blame on animals and wildlife as well. There was this one example uh, that someone mentioned in the Twitter chat about sharks lurking in an Mm -hmm. area around a populated coast where just sharks are minding their own business in their natural habitat and we're the ones going straight into their feeding area. Exactly, exactly. And the way we refer to shark is it biases our our approach to them. So when we say, oh, sharks are lurking in the, in the sea, well, it's their home. It's like somebody saying you're lurking in your bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice analogy. Thank you for this. 
Yeah, I mean, we have to we have to help each other. We have the responsibility. I mean, during this uh, um, these past few months since George Floyd's death, the latest uh, episode which I heard on social media, um, we're tired of explaining this to you. And I think it's um, it's our responsibility to teach each other our own biases. Yeah. It's and yeah. I think the important thing to mention here is not about it's not about pointing fingers or putting blame to people. Exactly. Who you use those kind of terms unconsciously it's about bringing up the issue making it clear to everyone and if you have done those things if you have used those terms until now it doesn't mean that you're a bad person it means that probably you didn't know you didn't think about it you didn't realize Mm -hmm. it was part of your upbringing for one reason or another and it it, it's just something that you can put certain amount of effort and get over. It's not easy, but it's as simple as that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's the way you approach it. And again, it all comes back to good, good communication. Have empathy. And this not only applies to science communication, to any kind of communication. Don't make people feel bad about doing something that is wrong, but they may have not realized it. There was also a nice suggestion in the Twitter chat of a potential strategy, how to ameliorate this. Um, someone mentioned that it could be part of the editorial process. Yeah. What do you think yeah. about that? Yeah, that's good. Yes, yes. Thank you for reminding me of mm. that. Someone said that we should we should include, you know, that resource that we're trying to mm. put together. And there are I, I saw some the other day about ableist versus disabled language, what yeah. words to use. So it would be good for editors to have to use that as a reference so they can catch it and suggest alternative words. Because that's what editors do, don't they? If an editor would spend extra effort into correcting my grammar and my English, that surely can be a part of it. It's not an extra uh, burden on the process itself. Other problematic things was um, use of the word male and female for connecting parts of wiring and how it actually mimics the biology of... I found this always very vulgar. Yeah, Yeah. I I don't know why. Ever since, okay, as a child, probably I thought it was vulgar because I was a child. But even nowadays, I'm like, but it's the 21st century, well into it. Do we really not have a better name for male and female plugs? Yeah, yeah. Well, these, see, the thing is, all these systems, when they were developed, were male-dominated industries. So the terminology came from them. The same way when we look at um, comics, how and how female superheroes are usually portrayed. They are the ultimate shape and figure of a of a woman that a man would idealize a lot of it comes who where it originated from uh, another thing that was mentioned was the world wild when something you see an uh, area which has not been developed by human beings it's been given the connotation of wild and wild usually refers to something that is chaotic in the way that it's disorganized Well, that's the wrong way to refer to it. Now I get it. I was wondering how is wild a problem since things are, in fact, wild? 
untouched. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. now that now that you explain it, it actually makes sense that wilderness usually is chaotic and unorganized when in fact a wild environment is anything but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean it, it's the it's the meaning we put behind those words, right? And in, in general, remember a while back, we had a guest at a, at a podcast about ecology. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were, I remember we were saying that we see ourselves as separate from the world in which we live in. Mm-hmm. And I was saying that not until I started teaching ecology, even though I have a PhD in a biology field, it never clicked that connection to me until I had to teach ecology and then started appreciating uh, the importance of the place I live in. And I'm not meaning, I don't mean my house, I mean the environment, the ecosystem. Oh, thank you very much, Sherry. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you very, very much for summarizing this article. And uh, uh, thanks to everyone who contributed to the Twitter chat as well. It was one of the lively ones that was very interesting to follow even after the, the live participation finished. Okay, Sherry, thanks again for today. Thank you. Um, thank thank you. you to the listeners who tuned in. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at SciComm underscore JC to participate in the Twitter chat on Tuesday. Or in general, you can also participate in past Twitter chats. You can find all the moments from them and you can still contribute and have those, those conversations going. You can also read other interesting information and summaries of other publications on our website. That's SciComm double M jc.org and leave a comment and get in touch with us subscribe to our newsletter as well to receive updates on all our upcoming events twitter chats podcast releases summaries of interesting psychomy topics that go on the website again to do that go to www.psychomjc.org this podcast is recorded by the Psychom JC team. It's produced and edited by Mina Venakristozova. Our music is from Audio Jungle. Thank you for joining this 23rd episode of the Psychom JC podcast. If you liked it, let us know, please. Share it with your friends. If you feel extra Psychomy today, go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. And till next time, stay nerdy.